Welcome, everybody. It's great to see you guys this weekend and everybody at Montrose and watching online. Uh, great to be back. I've uh, been gone the last couple weeks. Uh, you guys uh, may or may not know that Grace Church is a part of a movement of churches, an international movement of churches, and uh, we get to play a real special role in that movement. We would be the, the largest of those churches in the world. And so uh, once in a while, this time of year, and then especially in the summertime, uh, you kind of loan me out a little bit to that movement. And that's where I was uh, last week. I was in California, Los Angeles, and San Diego, uh, working on different aspects of that, and then training pastors. So I was with uh, about 40 or 50 pastors, represented about 50,000 people in their congregations, and uh, really sharing with them a lot of what what we've learned here at Grace and some of the ideas that we're implementing. And then I, uh, of course, steal all of their ideas and claim them as my own. So uh, it's, a, it's an important thing. It's a good thing. And we went to Southern California, and the weather was nicer in Akron, Ohio, all week long than it was in Southern California. So uh, I was bitter. Heidi was making fun of me, and I came home. Uh, so, but thanks for doing that, and uh, thanks for letting us be a part of it. Um, I want to keep in front of you that floor signing coming up here the, the last week of, of March. You know, we're getting closer and closer. In fact, uh, starting this week and then, then next week, and I'm going to talk to you more and more, God has, uh, is raising up major, major opportunities for us to proclaim the gospel, for us to invest in people's lives and serve uh, people. And uh, some of those opportunities are tied to that building that's being built over there. And so uh, in, a, in a few weeks when we have the floor signing here in March, we're going to go over there uh, during our weekend services. We're going to pray uh, that God would work in people's lives through that building. And then we're going we're gonna to sharpie the floor, uh, sign the floor, put some names on there that we're going to pray for. And then, uh, and then those will forever be under that hardwood that's going to be over there. So it's kind of a really, really fun thing to do. And then over the next few weeks, I'm going to tell you about what the opportunities that are there the opportunities that we have to um, invest in leaders and start new churches are just abundant right now. And then I'm going to tell you about uh, how God's been working, particularly in the recovery community uh, through our partners with Restore and uh, how our investment in that effort and then the incredible things that, that God is, is doing there. So we're going to have a fun month, uh, a fun month of just celebrating what God has done, what he is doing, what, what he's going to do. And, uh, and I'm excited to, uh, to do it. And it's fun to be a, a part of a, of a movement of God like that. Somebody asked me recently, uh, they said, uh, they're asking me about the Asbury revival. I don't know if any of you have been watching this on, uh, on social media, but God's been working in Asbury, Kentucky in some fun ways. And they asked me, they, this is actually out in California, they said, that, they said, they asked me if I'd ever been a part of a revival. I said, I feel like I've been a part of one for 30 years. Uh, just what God has done here through grace and what he continues to do and, and the fact that we're really not even fully rolling yet and, and all that he's laid on our heart and what I believe he's called us to. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. I'm going to show you some new things uh, that God is doing and some things are kind of coming to flourishing like that building, like what that's going to kick in and we're just going to have a, a fun, fun time with it. Um, to get ready for that, we've been talking about the church, and that's, that's what this Those Guys series has been about. Pastor Joe's been walking you through this, and I want to talk to you this weekend a lot about the, the bottom little phrase here, uh, how to see yourself as a part of the church. And uh, Pastor Joe did a great job. If you missed those conversations, you should go listen to, uh, to them online or on the app, YouTube, whatever. Uh, but he did a great job kind of framing out you know, the body of Christ and how it works and, and what it's a part of. But I want to talk this weekend, I want to do something kind of unique and special with you. I want to talk specifically about you as an individual, okay? And how you, you are a part of the church. And how you being a part of the church is actually how God forms and God leads and God defines and directs his church moving forward, okay? And so I, I, we're, gonna, we're gonna do a little bit of an exercise with that. I'm gonna walk you through some things, um, but I want you to start to get a vision. In fact, on your seat, you've got those three by five cards. We really went all out. We spent a lot of money 
uh, thinking about how to develop those cards and branding them specifically to Grace Church. We, have a, we actually have a copyright on those lines that are on that card. Uh, but I put those cards on your, on your chairs this weekend, and you're going to interact with those a couple times throughout our conversation. And, and, and I want to kind of prime the pump for you a little bit. And, and part of what I'm going to ask you to do here in a little bit, not right now, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you think about what you believe God could do through you. And I want you to hear me. I did not just say, I don't want you to think about, I'm not asking you to think about what God could do for you. I want you to think about what God can do through you. And when I say through you, I'm not, I'm not talking to a room full of people and, 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 uh, and Montrose and the internet. I'm talking like to you, right, specifically. Like what can God do through you? And one of the things that, that you can understand if you're a follower of Christ, that God has a reason, I'll show you this in the scripture here in a minute, there's a reason that he called you to himself. And there's something that he wants in your life, there's a vision that God would have for your life, and there's a vision that God kind of seeds into your heart in a unique way. And I call that, a, I call it a God dream. That if you could step back and say, man, if I, if I could let God use my life in any way, and, and I could just like, t- if he could just like totally take all the barriers off, and God would just use me to, to proclaim his message and to impact the people around me, in a, in, a, in a particular way or in a particular fashion or in a particular place or group of people, this is what I would dream of God doing through me. And what I want us to see here over, over a little bit of time in scripture is that that's not a daydream. Uh, that's not just you like letting your mind run wild. Part of that is God creating you uniquely calling you uniquely, placing you in a unique set of relationships. And what Pastor Joe taught us over the past couple weeks is he's not doing that so that I can get ahead and I can, you know, get my dreams and all my, I get the new car and the new house and my hair grows back. Like, it's not for my prosperity and blessings. It's so that God can weave me into the fabric of his great church and God can bring out from me some of the very reasons why he called me and created me in the first place. So we're gonna talk about that in a minute. That's what that card's for, all right? And then we're gonna talk about how that plays out and what that looks like and even some of the cost that comes from God working through that in a little bit. So I want you to start to think about that. If God was gonna use you in a powerful and a unique way, as a person, maybe as a group of friends, and then like ultimately as a church, like you can, you can do the math that this all comes together. How would God work through you, okay? Now, like I said, this is something that God does and part of how God calls us and works in us. So let me show you this in the scripture real quick. This isn't just like Jeff giving a pep talk. This is like a big part of the deal of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So you would run into very, very important passages like this one in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. So this is what God says. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And God is talking specifically here to Christ followers and he's talking about our spiritual rebirth. When Jesus told, uh, told the Pharisee Nicodemus that you've got to be born again, what Jesus was saying was that I'm born dead spiritually. My salvation in Christ rebirths me and makes me alive. Why? Why? So part of that is so that I can have my sins forgiven and go to, go to heaven. Part of that is so that I can bring glory to the Father as one of his children be adopted in his family. And then part of that is so that I can do the good things he planned long ago for me to do. It's a part of my vision and my mission and my purpose on planet Earth, so to say. So God says, you, you have to understand this, you're a masterpiece. So you individually, God would look at you and say, yeah, I've created you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and I knit you together and allowed you to experience the life that you've experienced on purpose, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. 
So I called you to myself with my kindness and you, you've asked the forgiveness of your sins. Now you're following me. That's part of your life. I created you with a personality. So all of us are unique and we're different and we're interested in different things. And it's funny when you get a group of people together called a local church, all the different personalities, right? Some of us are free-spirited. Some of us are very organized. Some of you can do math. Some of us cannot, right? You have all kinds of different personalities. Where did that come from? That's not just your environment. That's not just like your family. That's a part of how God created you. You have different passions. Some of us are passionate about certain things. Some of us are passionate about sports. Some of us, we would be hurt if someone threw a ball in our direction because it would hit us in the face. Some of us are passionate about music. We have different passions. Where do those passions come from? And how come they're not like other people even in your own family? See, they're not just environmental. Some of us have different abilities. Pastor Joe showed us that we all have spiritual gifts. God gifts you or creates you a certain way spiritually when you're born again. And then we all have these life experiences. We've all lived our journey that God has called us to go on. So God would look and say, right, I'm creating something here. I'm working in you individually. You are a masterpiece. You're a work of art to me. I work then in you corporately, my church, the, the sum total of its individual parts. You are a masterpiece. And God would look and say, if you're my follower, you should think of yourself like that. That you're, you're not just chance. You're not just a product of. You were created and guided and molded by the hand of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully created. You were created anew in Christ Jesus. So this whole thing, we get a little bit used to it, especially if you're a church person, we get a little bit used to this idea that we are reborn in Christ. But I would encourage you to never get used to that idea. Uh, You should spend the rest of your life being blown away and investigating the ramifications of what it means to be born again in Christ because this is what this means. I am created by Christ, but I'm created anew in Christ. So what that means is this. It means my sin does not define me. Only a Christ follower would look and say, yeah, I was dead in sin, but I've been made alive in Christ. Therefore, the sin of my past is not what defines my present or my future. The wounds of my past do not define me. I I might have been victimized, but victimhood does not define me going all the way forward. I might have been abandoned, but abandonment does not define me as I'm going forward because I have a God who will never leave me or forsake me. So I made a new in that, and I made a new in my decisions. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if God held you fully accountable for every decision you ever made and there was no hope of forgiveness ever? We're all doomed because y'all went to high school, right? I know what you did. Right? Can you imagine if I made one bad decision or a hundred and I could never be forgiven? I could never start over. I could, I could never put my past behind me. I had to be defined by that before God for the rest of my life. Well, when Jesus took our sins away, the old's gone, the new's come. The Bible says he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west. We're made anew. So I'm made on purpose, and then I'm made anew. I'm not defined by my past. I'm defined by who I am in the present and my future as a Christ follower. And the reason he did all that is so that we can do the good things he planned long ago for us to do. So God has crafted you. He's called you out. Joe talked about that. He's called you out to be a part of the church. He has erased your past and created for you a future. So we're not defined in Christ by all these things. And we've been molded by our experiences in life. Why? So that we can do the things that God plans for us to do. It's not just so that we can go to heaven. 
And it's not just so that we personally can experience the benefits of knowing Christ. That's a side benefit, not the main thing. The main thing is, God does all of that so that I can give my life fully to Christ and he can do things through me that he isn't going to do through anybody else who's not me. And that's his plan. That's his plan. And as I look at my life and you look at your life, Jesus would look and say, that's my plan and I would want that to be your plan too. That you would have what I am calling a God dream. And you would think about and you would desire and you would plan for and pray for what God can and wants to do through you. Now it's interesting what Jesus says. He says this in John chapter 14. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Jesus was at his disciples and then through his disciples he speaks to us and he says, guys, you need to understand something. When you are my followers, You're going to be able to do the same works that I have done. You're going to be able to love as I have loved. You're going to be able to forgive as I have forgiven. You're going to be able to proclaim the truth as I have proclaimed the truth. You're going to be able to bring glory to the Father as I brought glory to the Father. You're going to be able to do the same works that I have done. But what you need to understand is you're going to be able to do even greater works. Now think about that. What's that mean? What's it mean to do greater works? Jesus walked on water so we can fly in the air. Is that what that means? What he's talking about is the impact of his life and his ministry. How does the truth about Jesus Christ move from a small segment of people, 12, to a little bit of a larger segment of people, about 500, across the centuries, across the oceans, where billions upon billions and upon billions of people have known the truth of Jesus Christ, acted on the truth of Jesus Christ, and lived out the love of Jesus Christ. How many people did Jesus heal, and how many people have been offered healing, help, care, medicine, mercy, in his name? How many people did Jesus educate And how many people have been offered literacy and education and a step up and a way out in his name? How many people did Jesus feed? And how many billions of people have been relieved of poverty and relieved of hunger in his name? How many people did Jesus teach the truth to? And how many billions of people have been taught the truth of Jesus in his name? And what Jesus is saying, he's like, guys, listen, anybody who understands that they're a masterpiece and understands the power of my making them anew, the power of what I would call the gospel in their life, and anybody who starts to embrace the plan that I have for them, they're going to be a part of these greater works. And these greater works are not self-serving. These are not greater celebrities than Jesus. These are not selling more albums than Jesus. These are not getting 100 bucks for smacking people in the forehead for Jesus. These are the heart and the mind and the lived out love of Jesus Christ. It's going to be greater than what he did while he was here. And people who say, I am a masterpiece and I've been made anew and I want to act on that plan, they can ask anything in my name and I will do it. They can look at me and say, Jesus, I want everybody in my dorm to know who you are and I will do that for them. Jesus, I I want to affect the social injustices of our culture and I will do that for them. Jesus, I want to break the cycles of dysfunction in my family, and I will do that for them. Jesus, I want my kids to see your love and your truth lived out in our home, and I will do that for them. They can ask anything, and I will do that for them. Why? Because I planned on doing that for them. That's been the plan, that they embrace me, 
I transform them. They make me make sense to the people around them. And, and my father is glorified in the process. I'll do that for them, and I'll do that for them all day, every day. The Bible goes on and would say, not only will I do that, and I want to do that, but you can't forget that I can and will do that. Back to the Apostle Paul, he says this, what shall we say about these wonderful things of these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? No, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. Jesus would look at you as a Christ follower and he would say, your relationship with me is not about you hanging on by a thread. Your relationship with me is about you being made completely new. Your relationship with me is not about you losing your faith. Maybe I can interact with my friends, and, but I don't want to get sucked in. Your relationship with me is about you bringing transforming love to your friends. Your relationship with me is not about you somehow trying not to get divorced because you're guilt-tripped. Your relationship with me is about you having a thriving, loving marriage in which I am glorified and actually embodied, so to say. It's about you, it's not about you surviving. It's not about you hanging on in a crazy world. You're a masterpiece. And you're a victor. And there is overwhelming victory. Because you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it. When you realize that your masterpiece made anew and that was the plan all along. And sometimes, sometimes I fear that we lose sight of this. A lot of times when people teach something like this from scripture, they teach it in a self-serving way. I'm not talking about all your dreams coming true. I'm not talking about you being the best version of yourself. Those things are heretical when they're tied to these passages. I'm talking about how God wants to work through you as an individual who is a part of his church, who's a part of his kingdom. And God would look at you and me and he would say, I want that to define your life. I want that to be on your mind. I, I want you to understand that that's, that's a huge part of what the church is. And I fear that sometimes we struggle to believe that. I, I think if I stood up here and I put together a conversation in which I pointed out every one of your sins and how you're guilty of it, everybody would nod their head. They would leave later on and they would say, great sermon, pastor. And it, you're watching online, you would, not, you would nod your phone for sure. And you'd be like, great, you'd probably pay attention, not be doing the dishes right now. I know what you do when you watch on the phone. You, great sermon. But if I look at you and say, no, 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 you're a master, please. You're made anew. And it's the plan. We would all struggle to believe it. Even though it's right there in the book. And it's how God would want us to interact with him. Okay? All right, now, I want you to grab your piece of paper. Get your card. If you're at home, grab, grab a piece of paper. Get your uh, electric bill or something like that. The, that's, all, that's the only paper I ever have at home. And, and write this down, okay? So if you're here, you're over at Montrose, you got these three by five cards. Here's what I want you to think about. And I'm going to give you like four minutes, so you're not going to get all the way through this, Okay? So here's the question I want you to think about. This is you now. This is not other people. This is not what the church should do. This is you. Okay? Ready? Here's the question. If you dreamt about God doing anything through your life with no fear or no hesitation, what would you ask him to do? If you dreamt about God doing anything through your life, this is a God dream. If you could dream about God working through you, no fear, don't talk yourself out of it, no hesitation, because your, your past is gone. What would you ask him to do? And guys, listen, sometimes those dreams are huge. 
I want to start, you know, thousand churches and change the world. That's great. Sometimes those dreams are huge for you. I want to break the cycle of addiction in my family. I, I want my... I want my kids to grow up with their mom and their dad. So sometimes they're huge in scale. Sometimes they're huge for you. But when you look and say, I'm a masterpiece, I'm made new, I'm not defined by my past, I'm defined by my future, and it's the plan. What dream has God uniquely put in your heart? Take a breath, pray for a second, do this at home too. If you're, whatever you're doing, just kind of stop what you're doing, do this for a second, ask yourself that question, and then when you start to formulate an answer, start to write it down. Start to write it down on that card, okay? Go ahead.
you dreamt about God doing anything through your life with no fear or hesitation, what would you do? Okay. Now I put this in my notes. I wrote the difference between someone getting emotional about what God can do and somebody living out their God dream is the willingness to give their life the way that Jesus did. See, this is, this is why I wrote no fear or hesitation. Because whatever, whatever started to come to your mind, and I'm sure you just started to form it, I hope that you talk about this and think about this question outside of just services. But whatever came to your mind is probably part of God's plan. And what happens is we will start to think our way and to talk ourselves out of God's plan. We'll start to say, well, wait a minute, that, you know, that just can't happen. Well, I, I would, but you know, we have obligations. I, I felt this for a long time, but you know, I got school, I got work, I got a, you know, a yard to mow. We'll, we'll often start to talk ourselves out of God's plan. And because we have fear and we hesitate, we'll take that God dream of what he can do, what he might want to do, how he would want me to be a part of it, and we'll start to turn that into a daydream. Yet my family can't work that way. My past prohibits me from, God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Now it's interesting what Jesus says. Jesus was actually talking to the apostle Peter and uh, he was rebuking him for something and he said this, this is in Matthew chapter 16. He said, uh, Peter, listen, stop it. You see things merely from a human's point of view and not from God's. What, what you think is happening is not happening. And you have your perspective, but you don't have my perspective on it. And I would look at you and I would say, that, that's what happens a lot with us. When we look at this, how do you see yourself as a part of the church? We tend to see that from a human perspective instead of God's perspective. We would look and say, well, I attend. And God would be like, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, I give money. Well, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, I, I'm supportive. I, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, I, I watch online. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a human perspective. God would look at you and he said, that, that's not what I mean by building my church. I'm not talking about filling up a room or the internet. I'm talking about what I called you to. How do you take the masterpiece that you are, the, the, the person that you are since you've been made anew in me, the, the, the things that I've called you to do, your spiritual gifts, your life experiences, your ability, how, do you, how are you investing your life around those things? And the difference between a daydream and a God dream is directly connected to us pouring our lives out like Jesus did. This is what Jesus said to Peter right after he said that. He said to his disciples, Peter was the main guy he was talking to, if any of you wants to be my follower, you have to give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're gonna save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus looked at his disciples and he's like, guys, do you, do you believe that I'm the Messiah? They're like, oh, we so believe it. Do, do you believe that you're gonna do greater things than, than what you've seen? Oh yeah, we believe it. We believe in the, in the church is how we would say it. Do, do, you, do you believe that there is a heaven? We believe it. Do you believe that, that this good news of the kingdom can change people's lives? They would look at Jesus and they would say, yeah, we, we have given our life to that. We want to give our life to that. We want other people to have, we wanna see the power of God, so to say, in their lives, Jesus. That's what we want. And he looked at them and said, great, all you have to do is give up your own way and take up your cross. So what's standing between you and your God dream is that. 
It's, it's not that God is unable, and it's not that God's unwilling, and it, ready? And it's not that that's not the plan. The, the decision for us is, what's it mean to give up and what's it mean to take up? So this, this dream that I'm starting to write down has ramifications to it. So if, I, if my dream is that God would break the cycles of dysfunction in my family, ready, you with me? I'm probably gonna have to give up some bitterness. I'm probably gonna have to give up some unforgiveness. If my dream is that God is gonna use me to change cycles of injustice in our culture, human sex trafficking, uh, abuse of children. I'm probably going to have to give up my time, give up my money, right? If my dream is that I'm going to I'm going to stand on a platform and I'm going to preach to thousands of people, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to probably give up my other career options. If my dream if my dream is that my children are gonna be fully dedicated to the Lord and his cause and his kingdom. That's awesome until they're like, Mom, I'm going to Kirkstan. This is a true story. I have to give up my daughter. I have to give up my grandchildren. See? So Jesus is like, you wanna do this, there's things you give up, and then there's things you take up. So my dream is the family, I'm probably gonna have to, take up the initiative to bring healing. I'm probably gonna have to take up a new set of habits and perspectives. I'm probably gonna have to go learn those from the Bible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach to the masses. Well, I'm probably gonna have to take up an education. I'm gonna have to take, a, I'm probably gonna have to give up my independence and give up my ability to live a private life and I'm gonna to have to take up the responsibility for caring for all kinds of people. What I want is sobriety. I'm gonna to to give up the things I'm addicted to and I'm gonna to have to take up a life that I've never been fully able to embrace or have on my own. See how it works? So for every God dream, that we will dump the dream because we're afraid to give up and take up. But when we go back to like our quiet and like sensitive moments with God, like four minutes that we create right here, that dream comes to the forefront pretty quickly. It, it's, it's right, they don't go away. And that's because that dream is put into you by God. It's part of the plan, it's part of the uniqueness of how he's crafted you and worked through your life. The hesitation and the fear is tied to the give up and the take up. So here's the thing. Jesus said, you want to do this, you're going to have to give up your own way, and you're going to have to take up your cross. And I wrote this down. I said this, there's always a cross standing between you and your God dream. There's always a cross standing between you and your God dream. There is a price to pay. There is a ramification of. We were doing interviews the other night for uh, people who want to be interns and residents here at Grace, want to train to go into full-time ministry. And one of the kids that uh, we were talking to, he, he's from Alabama. He's thinking about moving up here to be a part of our training program. He asked a great question. He, uh, he said to, uh, to all of us, a group of pastors in the room, he said, uh, what's been the hardest part of being called into full-time ministry? And uh, the, the other guys chickened out and made me answer the question, which I'm a little bitter about. I'll come up in their review. But, but the, the, uh, they kind of looked at me, and I said, uh, the, the guy started, like, guessing at it. He's like, is it the time? Is it the pressure? Is it the blah, blah, blah? And I looked at him, and I said, actually, no. The hardest part for me, I said, that question is an individual question. Because my, my give up and my take up is not gonna be the same as your give up and your take up. So I said to him, the hardest part for me 
is giving up my freedom. I don't, I don't get to live the life I would live on my own. I have too many responsibilities, too many people looking. I said, that's very hard for me. And he, asked, he goes, is it worth it? I said, oh yeah, because I love my life. It's just not the one I would have picked. But I don't want to set it down. I just didn't know I was going to have to give it up. In between you and your God dream is a cross. And, and, and God's going to look at you and say, yeah, there's, to have that, you're going to have to give up your own way. It doesn't mean the new way is miserable. It just means it's not yours. And what you give up, God's going to look and see you got to take up. But taking it up, taking it up is what moves you to the very thing that God created you to be a part of. See how that works? So the question isn't, can God do it? Of course he can. The question isn't, will God do it? Kind of already did it. The question, the question isn't, is it a part of the plan? It's totally part of the plan. The question is always this. The question is, how, how do you interact with your cross? It's the give up and the take up. And the hesitations and the fears that surround God working through you are always tied to that. Because you're smart, because sometimes the answer is obvious, this is going to cost, this is going to change, this is going to set me out of the mainstream. I, I cannot live this way and have God work through me this, this way. Those two things cannot come together. And between you and your God dream is always a cross. And the question of the cross is always, what do I have to give up? And what is God calling me to take up? Okay. Now I want you to get your little piece of paper again. And this is what I want you to do this time. On one side of that piece of paper is a God dream, or at least the beginning of one. On the other side of that piece of paper, what I want you to start to do is I want you to start to list the price tag. If God was going to work through you in the ways that you uniquely dream of him working through you, what do you have to give up? And what would you have to take up? How would you begin to need to interact with that cross that Jesus is asking you to deal with, okay? What are the price tags to it? And let's just take a minute and let's work on that for a second. What would that dream cost you, okay?
So what the Bible calls this is it calls accounting the cost. Listen, there is no question that if you have interacted with the love and the truth and the wonder of Jesus Christ and have yielded your life to his definition and direction and repented or turned from your sin and asked for salvation from him and him alone, there is no question that you are his masterpiece. There is no question that you have been made anew and there is no question that there are good things that he has planned in advance for you to do. No question about it. There is no question that God calls his people and his church to greater works than he did. No question about it, Jesus' words. And there is no question whether or not you will be victorious in that process because when you ask something that is from the heart of God and for the glory of God, the answer is gonna be yes every time. No question about it. The only question is the cross. That's it. And we desire God to work through us, and it's a good desire. In fact, it's a God desire. And we dream about what God can do through us and the catalyst we can bring, the difference we can make, and it's a good desire and it's a God desire. But the fear and the hesitation always surround the cross. Now the Bible says something very fascinating in the book of Hebrews. It says this about Jesus. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. See, Jesus had a dream, so to say, and his dream was you. And he loves you, and he saw you. He envisioned you, knowing him, and following him, and being forgiven, and being rescued, and being set free. That was on his mind. He came to seek and to save you for those reasons. Jesus had a dream. And it was a dream that was given to him by his father. Because he and the Father are one. So it was his Father's heart. He's a full embodiment of the Father. And he wanted you, and he wanted you free. And he wanted you to have life and life to the fullest and life abundantly. And he wanted you to be a part of his vision and his mission. So he saved you. He called you out. He created the church and then adopted you into it. Jesus had a dream, but to fulfill that dream, he had to go through the cross. And he knew that the joy on the other side of giving up his life and taking up his cross was greater than any fear or any hesitation that he had moving down that road. And if you're his follower, this is just that playing out in your life. Got nothing to do with you being rich and famous and having a private jet. Got nothing to do with you being free of pain or any kind of turmoil or, or any kind of trouble on earth. That's never promised in the scripture one time. That the opposite is promised by Jesus. He says, you're going to have trouble. People are going to hate you if you love me. It's got nothing to do with any of that nonsense. It's got everything to do with God working through you and I can look at you as your pastor and I can tell you the opportunities for God to work through you are greater than I've ever seen unbelievable what God is doing and the only thing between you enjoying that and where you're sitting right now is how you interact with your cross But that dream you have, that's not a daydream. That's a God dream. It just has a price tag to it. But it's a price worth paying. Jesus would pay that price a thousand times over. 
because the joy that was on the other side of that cross led him to it, caused him to endure it, kept him there, and then he defeated it. And he called to you and me. Because I want you to embrace this. I want you to see what God has for you. I want you to have a vision. I want you to have a vision for the church, but that vision starts for your inter- with your interaction with Christ. A church is just a collection of people pursuing Jesus. And so I want us to collectively have great things. That's amazing. But it doesn't matter unless, it, it won't ever happen if it doesn't happen in you. And the most meaningful and the most powerful and the most wonderful parts of your life are tied to that God dream. But you gotta give up, you gotta take up to embrace the joy. Would you pray with me? Jesus, in these moments, would you meet us in a personal and in a powerful way? God, would you let us cut through everything that is self-centered, self-focused, self-aggrandizing, and just be right there with you and who you are and what you're like and what you're calling us to. And God, in a new and in a fresh way, would you let us embrace the joy of your calling, the work that you have done in our life. And God, maybe even help us to do math that what we're missing in our life, what's frustrating about our life is not our income and not our job and not even our relationships. It's, it's, it's at the core of our purpose is not dialed in to the core of what you wanna give us. So God, would you begin to awaken that? Would you begin to draw us would you, would you begin to help us? And God, would you, would you take us to places that only our faith and our trust in you can possibly take us to see beyond ourselves and to embrace fully what you wanna do in our lives? Would you begin that work, Jesus, even now?